pointed a certain direction. It works. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Am I on? I'm on. Is this thing on? <laughs> well, it's so good to be here this morning. Um, I must tell you, uh, I've really been looking forward to this because uh, Joe and Ellen they speak uh, very highly of, of you and your church and 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 Conway and the place up here and. Uh, uh, We've been talking about this for several months, so glad it could finally work out. Uh, my version of the story might be a little bit different than Joe and Ellen. Uh, we met, I think, several years ago, for sure. Uh, just to be sure, let, but you know, Joe is a little bit older than me, so let me let me let me clarify that, in case there's any doubt here. Uh, Joe swears I married my wife out of children's church, but that's not true. We met at, uh, at, a, at a local dance club. We, and, uh, it's, it's a social dance club. and uh, I, My memory was that uh, Ellen came up to me, and after she met me, and she said something like, Is it true that I heard you're a minister? And I, I'm not much in the labels, uh, personally. I, I believe we're all ministers. Uh, but I'm not here to speak on that. But if I could, I would speak about that. Uh, if you've given your life to Christ, you're in the body of Christ, and we all have ministry. Uh, I was speaking with one of your deacons before, and uh, I, I, he kept referring to a couple of things, and I said, well, that's right in, right in line with uh, the same, we're on the same page. But Ellen said to me, uh, is it true you're in the ministry? And I said, you know, I don't, I don't make a big thing of it. I, I am a minister. I'm ordained. I'm not pastoring a church right now or nothing like that, da, da, da. Uh, and then she looked at me and she said, but you dance. <laughs> and I said to her, uh, only with my wife. <laughs> uh, and I... Ellen may remember that story a little bit different since I'm the one speaking. I can tell it like I want to. <laughs> but anyway, that, that was my memory of it. And, uh, but anyway, we, uh, it's, it's a local dance club down in Greenville. Uh, actually, the people there in the club call me their chaplain. And I even have some people in that club, when their friends come, they introduce me to them as their pastor. And, uh, uh, it, it's 200 and, but at one time it was 225 people in it. And, uh, a lot of those people, they're not going to walk into a church on Sunday. And, uh, my, it's amazing how my wife and I spend more time, as many times there, uh, not just going to dance, but I, I, we've shared the gospel more in a dance club than I think I did over 11 years overseas. Uh, because overseas I was working most, mostly in the church. Uh, and there you're working with people that come from all walks of life. But anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. I'm going to show you a couple slides here because I uh, introduce our, our ministry. And I just came back from a trip overseas. This is the name of our ministry, MTEE. There's a website, MTE.org. You can look at it. Uh, the Berlin Wall went down November of 1989. Uh, we're 28 years from there next month. Uh, and those countries you see that are blocked off right there, uh, was formerly called Eastern Europe. Our ministry used to be called Ministry to Yugoslavia when it started back in the 80s, and I started working with them. Uh, and then and, and then when the, uh, the, the borders changed, it, it was changed to Ministry to Eastern Europe, and then the borders changed again over there, so we kept the acronym, but we, we dropped Eastern Europe because we were going beyond just Eastern Europe. So we came up with what what we believe was our actual calling, was to equip and to educate uh, the body of Christ in those nations. So, as you can see, uh, we lived overseas. Uh, we lived in Poland. When uh, 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 we went overseas in 1995, our two sons were both in school at East Carolina. Uh, I was 46 years old. Uh, I had no plans. I never thought I would live full-time on a mission field. I just wanted to tell people about Jesus and serve the Lord where I was. And, but God had another plan. And if you serve God long enough, hopefully you'll learn to cancel your plans and say amen to his plans. Because his plan is always better than our plan. Amen? But anyway, uh, I just came back from Ukraine. You can see that. Uh, how The size of Ukraine is 
pretty large. Uh, uh, I was there. Uh, our ministry uh, has one main purpose. Uh, we work with local churches. Uh, and I've had to learn how to work. We're, by the way, we're interdenominational. Uh, we've got multiple denominational people on our, on our board of directors and who serve us that capacity. I've been in churches overseas where they told me, John, for you to speak today, you have to stand behind that pulpit. You can't move away from it. You must do a certain way. I said, that's not a problem. I'll follow that. I've been other places. They told me, John, if you want to preach today, you can't wear a tie. I said, no problem. I'll take the tie off. Uh, I've, I've, I've been in different places where they gave me the house rules. And if you, if you serve God in, in those capacities on the mission field, you, you'll learn to understand that there's different cultures by which we operate by. You know, and, and I'm not here to change the culture. We're here to elevate the, the one who really matters. And uh, so our, our, I want you to understand one thing. Our ministry is strictly designed to help strengthen and build the local church. So that being said, we work uh, with education mostly. We, we help set up local church Bible colleges. We partner with an American university called Vision uh, that has a, a bachelor, master's, and, and Ph.D. level of education. They gave us the curriculum. We took it and had it translated into seven languages, and we set up... Uh, those, those offices overseas, and we had at one time about 80 schools going on. Um, the next picture, uh, this is a pastor friend of mine named Sasha Ozaruga. He's praying right now in this service, and this is, this is one reason why I'm so excited to, to have been there. I was just there two weeks ago. Uh, they've launched a, a national mission school in Ukraine for the training of Ukrainians to be prepared and, and for them to be sent into the mission field. Uh, that to me is phenomenal because for many, for many times they had, they believed that the missionaries had to come from the West or other lands, uh, places like that. But now they've caught the vision where they're training up their own nationals and they're sending them forth. The, Sasha, I've been working with him for about 21 years. He pastors a church. Uh, I met him the year after his father died, uh, 21 year, 20, 20 years ago. His father was the bishop of the denomination uh, for being a pastor. He was arrested under the Soviet Union's rule because it was a very atheistic belief. They put him with four of his brothers and first cousins because all of them were pastors. They put him in prison for 10 years for one reason. They were pastors. Uh, when you meet people like that and you walk with them in their life, uh, that affects your soul. Uh, that doesn't equate with me. I've never had suffered any kind of persecution uh, where I came from and, and could understand and could even relate to that. Uh, so I've been more enriched by those relationships, I believe, than any other thing in my life. Uh, today, I was just in Ukraine. We've got 32 local Bible schools going on right now in the Ukraine, 650 students there. Every one of these schools is affiliated with a local church. Uh, and so that's, that's part of the education. A lot of these schools, the goal is for people just to get a, a receive a one-year Bible certificate for training the Bible, a two-year associate's degree, like you would get at a community college, even a three- or four-year bachelor degree, and we even have master's and Ph.D. level also. But every one of those uh, schools are affiliated in a local church right now. Uh, this picture means a lot to me. Uh, the, the gentleman in the white shirt in this picture is Ron Bernier, He's a pastor. He's the president of our organization. He and I were just there together. He pastors a church in, up in Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. His accent is a little bit different than mine. Uh, but both of us, when we go over there, we, everything we do is through an interpreter, by the way. Uh, I worked in seven different languages. Uh, I figured God either had a great sense of humor or he was punishing me because I can't speak any of those languages. They speak so many languages over there. I said, even the Baptists speak in tongues over there. I didn't understand any of it. I needed an interpreter for everything. Uh, and God knew that. I, uh, for something in, in part of my brain just doesn't click with, with foreign languages. And, uh, and God puts me in a place where I had to work in seven different languages. And somehow I did learn how to say yes and no and praise the Lord in, in those languages. But that was about it. But anyway, the point of that being is this. Don't ever be careful what you tell God you can't do. 
Because God can do far greater whatever you can do. He doesn't need it for you, all of our great talents. He just needs the right heart of someone who's willing to go and be obedient to him and, and give him all the praise and glory for that. But I recruited, uh, when I was over there, uh, the young lady is named Valia. Uh, her father died when she was an early teenager. I recruited her in our office. We set it up 21 years ago, and she was age 18 the day she started with us. Uh, I had the honor to walk her down the aisle as her father at her wedding and give her away and then turn around and perform the wedding. She's now living in Atlanta, Georgia, under a religious visa because our ministry now is setting up Bible schools here in the U.S. You may not know this, but in the last uh, 15 years, uh, there's been, a, uh, I think, over 400,000 Russian-speaking people immigrate to the U.S. under persecution, visas, and other things like that. Uh, I was I, there, There's a church in Atlanta, Georgia, I've spoken at and, and was scheduled to be there in the future. Uh, it's been there 20-plus years. 14 different ethnic groups in the church, and every language is in English and Russian in that church right there. But so there's a, there's a tremendous enclave of Russian-speaking people now. There's probably not many in Conway, but there's, there's throughout. I don't have many in Greenville either, but I, the largest church I know of close to us is in Charlotte. There's a church in Charlotte right now of about four or 500, and Spartanburg's got a church of about 1,000 and other places too. We recruited uh, these four people here. The tall fellow in the end, the black T-shirt's named Andy. I recruited him when he was like 21. He's now got a Ph.D., earned doctorate degree of theology. He's in charge of our, he's our academic dean in our, in our schools over there. The next guy is Sasha Vasilevsky. He, I recruited him when he was 22. Here we are uh, 21 years later. Uh, he's now the, the, the dean also. Of, of another level of schools. He works with teachers and things like that. Uh, the fellow in the red sweater recruited him when he was 25. Here we are 21 years later. He's got a PhD and he runs our graduate level. I shouldn't say ours. It's their ministry, not ours. Forgive me, Lord. But he runs the graduate level and the PhD level of the, of the teachers over there. The point being, uh, I know your, your church is looking for a pastor. And, uh, uh, my prayer is that, and I, believe, I firmly believe that God has the right man in the right place, and at the right time, he'll bring him to you. Because one of the things that we're all concerned about when we give our hearts to God and we serve in a local church or a ministry is after our season of life comes to the finish, what carries on after us? Because if you spend your life giving and working and, 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 and however you want to say it, uh, you want to see something continue for the kingdom of God. Could you say amen to that? You know, I, I, and so we were just there uh, two weeks ago and just to be with them. Uh, I don't, you don't hear much about it in the news right now in Ukraine, what's going on over there. They're still at war with Russia. People are dying every day. Uh, we, where we were, I was within about uh, 30 miles of the Russian border, about an hour from where the fighting was. So we didn't feel, I never felt threatened there. I didn't take my wife this time. Uh, because it was more, we, we were very, uh, some very, we were more concerned about security and this was more of a work trip as far as that goes. Uh, we've got 14 full-time teachers who've, who've got, uh, master's level or above diplomas who now, who are Ukrainians who teach in all those Bible schools I showed you. And they're funded through our Ukrainian office, which our U.S. office helps to fund you know, provide finances for that. In the last three years, Joe, in, in the Ukraine, since the war broke out, the inflationary factor in that country today is 350%. Now, what does that mean? That means the following. Uh, some of those people I know personally, they were making, not teachers, but uh, some people I know were working in a business and they brought home $1,000 a month. They could support their family, feed their family, and, and they could live pretty well at that standard of living, of income. That same $1,000 today is not even bringing, not even worth $300. So I had several people I sat at the table with and said, John, be honest with you, I'm just trying to figure out how to put food on my table. What do I do? And those are real-life questions, my brother and sister, and, and you just can't have a flippant answer to that. You can't, you can't just say, well, God provides. Sure, God does provide. 
But in the midst of that storm of life, uh, some of these people need somebody else to walk alongside of them. So that's why we went over there, to be with them. We took the teachers. We asked them to bring their spouse. Our ministry funded this. We went to a hotel, one in a courtyard, uh, not on that standard level, more like a red roof inn. And uh, we went there, and we put them up for three days and two nights and just wanted to go there and bless them, refresh them, and strengthen them. We spent one-on-one. We met with each couple one-on-one for at least 30 minutes in that two and a half days. You meet with 14 couples for a half an hour for two and a half days. That's about seven hours plus in addition to the meetings we did. Uh, this is a picture when we got finished of all the teachers with the spouses. Uh, and it was just a great time. So this is one of the things that our ministry wants to do over there. Uh, I got on a train, went from Kiev to Kharkov. Uh, this was called the fast train. It was only six hours. I saw the train going by Conway when I go up here. I said, if I was going that speed, I'd be there in about about eight days. But, but uh, that train was uh, got up to 100 miles an hour at one time. And uh, it, I used to be on that train. It had been 15 years since I went to Kharkov. And at, back in those days, it was about a 10-hour ride. Uh, so uh, we, we didn't really didn't come a long way. I only drove an hour and a half today to get here today. So everything is relative in life, by the way. Uh, we did a pastor's conference in Harkov. We, t- we had a hundred plus pastors. Our, our purpose for do- doing that, doing that was also to encourage and exhort them and strengthen them in their minute because we believe if we can, if we can strengthen the shepherd, then the shepherd can go back and strengthen the flock also. Uh, also while we were there, we conducted a, a master's graduation service. We, we, we had 17 people who went through the, the master's level of theology and they received the certificate and uh, I had to wear one of those robes, and I said, Lord Jesus, uh, don't make me a Pharisee. But anyway, uh, uh, okay, uh, this is the last picture I'll show you as far as the, the missions part goes. Uh, two weeks before I got there, this took place in downtown Kiev. The downtown street is called Prashadik. It closes every Sunday. Uh, this is a former communist nation, but communism left there supposedly in, in 1990. And... Uh, what they did there, uh, the pastor told me uh, on Sunday, two weeks before I got there, they had what was called a day of thanksgiving. So they asked all the churches. Now, when I say church over there, it's a little bit different than church here. Uh, these are all the evangelical churches, whether they're charismatic, Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist, all in that realm. Of, you understand what I mean by that? Because uh, over there, the, the national church is called Russian Orthodox, by the way. So they asked all the, the, the churches uh, to uh, cancel their Sunday morning service and bring their congregation downtown to have a citywide service for the city. And they had no idea how many would show up because they wanted to spend the day praying for the nation because they've got a war, they've got inflation, they've got people migrating out of the country. The one church I work with very closely, uh, Sasha, he's had 45 families in his church, uh, pick up and move out of Ukraine because of the economy and the war. They've gone into Poland, Germany, England. Uh, some have come to the U.S., other places also. But when he showed me this picture, my heart just jumped with joy because on that day they had almost uh, over a quarter of a million, 250,000 plus. The media wouldn't even report on it. They never showed it in the media. Wouldn't even show it. Uh, uh, but they had over 250,000 Christians that day gather to elevate one name. And that name was Jesus Christ over their nation. And, I, and, I, and when I saw that, uh, I said, this nation has hope. And I was greatly encouraged by that. Hope that encourages you. Um, okay. Uh, as I move into my message, what God has put on my heart to bring to you... Uh, If I, 53% of Americans uh, can answer the following question. Uh, and I'll ask you just to give me a hands raise if you'd be so kind. I'll not call on you. But if I were to call on you, I would, I would hope you would give me the, the name. I'm going to ask you to answer the following question. If you could name the predominant figure that God used, this is his statue, to launch the Protestant Reformation... The prominent figure in history that God used 
to launch the Protestant Reformation. Could you name that person? Would you raise your hand? Well, that's pretty good. All right, that's about 40, maybe 35, 40%. Uh, I asked my own church that question last Sunday. Uh, and out of about 500, we only had about 50 hands go up. Because 53% can tell you who it is. And, and, uh, and somebody want to tell me who it is? Who said it? Who said Martin Luther? Thank you, dear. Martin Luther. Give you a candy bar. <laughs> Joe will give it to you after the service. Uh, my wife and I were there in, in a place called Wittenberg, Germany. Uh, this is the church uh, that this took place at. And maybe you've heard of this. Uh, I'm standing in front of the door. It's not the original door because it burned down. But this is, a, this is the door that's been rebuilt and inscribed today in metal. Uh, it's a it's a very large tourist attraction. At that place right there, listen to this, on October 31st, two days from now, two days from now, on October 31st, in the year 1517, Martin Luther went to that door and nailed what's called his 95 Theses to that door. He was a Catholic monk, and that's part of the message I've come to bring you today. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I ask you right now, Lord, to give me your, your wisdom and your grace, Lord, to speak as your servant. I pray for the church here, Lord. I ask that they would have receptive hearts and ears, Lord. And, Father, you would bring forth a word of clarity. And, Father, you would speak to the hearts and cause us, Father, just to exalt your Son and to expand your kingdom and to give your church strength and hope and life to carry forth in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. We're, we're, we're celebrating, the, in two days, the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, my grandchildren uh, do not understand the term Protestant. Uh, the, the generation coming up today does not understand church history. It's not a slam, it's just a fact. Because... because uh, the, the U.S. that we have today, uh, even though we have a lot of our own problems, uh, we're a byproduct of that particular event. And I want to I want to talk about history because I want to I want to kind of give you uh, a foundation of something here that I believe is relevant for us today from this particular event. The world population in the year 1500 was 400 million. Uh, 100 million lived in Europe. In, in 1455, right around, right around Columbus's time, 1492, start, the starting of the U, America, Columbus comes to America, the Gutenberg Bible is printed because the printing press had just been invented and the first document that comes off that printing press is a Bible Amen. that's printed in the Latin language. And that Bible is still exists today. You can go and see it. it if you ever get over that part of the world. In the year 15, listen to this, the year 1516, the first New Testament Greek Bible is published. Why is that significant? Because what God did back then was God took a monk who had a very zealous life to find God and God awakened in that particular individual a revelation of himself that changed the world. The title for my message is The Day That Opened the Door to the Future. And we're going to celebrate that day in two days, a 500-year anniversary. And, and so there's a few things I would like for you to take away from this. The printing press had been invented prior to about 50 years prior to Luther. When Luther posted his theses, his intention was not to start a new church or even to uh, uh, leave the Catholic church. In that day, uh, they, it was called, the way they, they discussed things was by debate. And their debates were very civil, unlike our debates today. 
I don't want to go there. But that was the methodology of disagreement. You had a debate, and it was a very civil conversation. But what uh, there were other reformers prior to Luther that had very similar revelations. Uh, John Huss uh, was the Czech reformer who they burned him at the stake. We've been to see his statue outside the city of Prague. John Wycliffe was the first one who translates the English Bible in, into English. Uh, from from the the old from the old language, but what what makes what makes this particular event so critical is what I would call the timing of the event, because what the church needs to understand today is timing. Because what, in other words, what Luther did were he posted a thesis and he went back to his monastery. Unbeknown to him, his students took his theses translates it into the German language, prints it, and circulates it throughout Germany. You know what that means? That means they put it on Facebook and send it out on the Internet. And it was game on. Anybody here have Facebook? Wow, what a difference. Uh, I have Facebook, and the reason I do, I've got six grandkids. Uh, And so... uh, I deal with a younger generation today. Uh, just a little side through real quick. I, I think that was fantastic right here, by the way. Why do I tell that to you? Uh, the message doesn't change. Please, please, just, this is out of my notes. Give me, give me one extra minute. I'll try and be brief. The message does not change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's only one name. By which all men are saved. That message does not change. It will never change. I will never change that message. But the methodology, the method by which you present the message, the song, whatever, is going to change. And so the methods that God used 500 years ago are not the same methods that God uses today. The same methods that God used in my generation uh, are not the same methods that God are going to use in my grandchildren's generation. So I just can't be so locked into the method. Now, if the message changes, we have a problem. Please hear what I'm trying to say. But the method does change. It changes with culture, language, and it changes in time. And if you want to be relevant to the kingdom of God in the day you're in, you have to understand that principle. Uh, for some reason, the Lord wanted me to touch that. But Luther's timing was called a perfect storm because that's what God did right then. Now, we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation and there's five, it's called the five solas. It's a Latin term, means slogans or main themes that come from the Protestant Reformation. And I'm going to give these to you today. There they are. There's all five of them right there. Sola Scriptura. That means scripture alone. Sola fide, that means faith alone. Sola gratias, grace alone. Sola Christus, Christ alone. Sola de gloria means to the glory of God alone. Now, if you go back and research Luther, Calvin, and the other reformers that come along, these five do not change. These are the foundations that affect what are called the Protestant Reformation. And these five are still truths in the evangelical Protestant church today. At least they should be. Okay? So, uh, Luther, uh, because he, he posts his theses, they have a council, they bring him before the court at that time. It happens in 1521. Okay? Which is four years later. He's before the emperor. And, uh, if you can read that, that's a small quote. Anyway, This is what Luther says. He says, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by the clear reason I am bound by Scriptures, I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God, I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience, and may God help me. Amen. He took a stand based upon Scripture and conscience. Did you catch that? Because when you look, when you, if you understand spiritual authority, 
There are different levels of authority in life. The highest authority is God. The next highest authority is Scripture. And the third level of authority is conscience. Because God works through conscience. And And Luther had such a fortitude not to violate Scripture or conscience. He took a stand. On that day, they excommunicated him and gave him a sentence of death. Now, he doesn't die, obviously. Uh, he, he, that's, I can't go into the history of that part of the story. But he, but he does live and goes on. But now I want to, I want to ask you if I, there's five solas right here I'm going to try and give to you here in the next few minutes if you be, bear with me. Number one is sola scriptura, the Bible alone is our highest authority. This comes out of 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. And that from a childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture. Everybody say all Scripture. All Scripture scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for four things. For doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. I could give you multiple verses that confirm this principle. But that is a main text. Hopefully you know this verse. But that's the main text for Scripture alone. Now, that, that right there is a foundational truth to our, our belief system. And it doesn't matter to me what denomination we are, but that better be a truth we can all agree upon. I personally believe the following. Uh, when I get to heaven... They're not going to ask me what member of a church I was. They're not going to ask me that I go to a Methodist, a Baptist, a Pentecostal, a Free Will Baptist, a Southern Baptist, a Pentecostal Free Will Baptist church I went to. They're not going to ask you that question. If they do, I'm in the wrong place. They're going to ask me one main question. Do I know Jesus? Because, because that is the foundation by which we have to understand things. Now, we may, we may, we may differ on some, some things, and, and there's room for that. I understand that. But when it comes to foundational truths, my brother and sister, there's some things we cannot disagree on. And this is, these are the five I'm here to talk about today. Sanctify them by your truth. John 17, 17. Your word is truth. Did you know it was the spirit of truth that raised Jesus from the dead? It wasn't the spirit of love. It's the spirit of truth. Because if you put truth on a cross, truth can never die. Now the Bible does tell us to speak the truth in love. So the Bible is to be our absolute truth. Absolute truth in in the millennial generation today is a misnomer. They, they don't understand this phrase. The younger, that, they don't hold to that phrase. So you're going to have to learn to speak a language that can connect with them or you're never going to, have to be effective in that ministry. There's a difference between what's called sola, S-O-L-A scripture, and solo, S-O-L-O scripture. And I can't go into that because of time today, but here it is real quick. The, one of the reasons we have many different streams going on in the body of Christ today is because of solo, not sola. Because solo scripture means that the Bible is is of my own private interpretation. Well, I've got the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've got the same book you've got right here. So, you know, this is what it means to me. Well, it don't mean that to me, brother or sister. And so, where'd you get that from? Well, that's how God revealed it to me. And, and people, people nowadays build their own cases off what's called private interpretation. What Luther had was not a private interpretation. He had an interpretation, but he had it based upon sola, which means the whole context, the whole, the larger picture of the Word of God. You can't take one little verse and from that and run with it right there. So, that's what I'm here to show you also. All right, the second one is faith alone. You should, most, most Protestants know this real well. We're saved through faith alone in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been, past tense, 
justified by faith. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. We're not trying to get peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is called the justification by faith. That is a a foundational principle to the Protestant faith and clarity right there. For as the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. This is one of the verses that Luther got. It's mentioned four different times. I give you the verses right there. You can go find them in your Bibles right there. They are. And, and, and the just shall live by faith right there. The third one is grace alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone. If, look at Ephesians 2. This is 6 to 10. These are, these are foundational verses. I'm not telling you anything. You have, you don't, you should, you should already know this. I just want to reaffirm to you the foundation by which we stand and which we declare. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Hallelujah. And he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 is a verse that every Protestant should know. For by grace you have been saved through faith. There you see sola fide and sola gratia together, right there. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are as workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him. Notice works, good works, follow grace. They follow grace, not precede it. We're not working to get God's grace. We're working because we have his grace. And now our works, we we do work because the reason for our work today is not to earn something, but to give him praise and glory and give him thanks. Can you say amen? Amen. And that's the truth right there, my brother and sister. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. You should already know these truths. But I just want to reaffirm these to us today because of this 500th anniversary. Now, Luther was not a perfect man. Because if you look how he ends his life, he ends his life where it's very, it's very much in debate today. And you could, and I won't, I'm not here to talk about that. But this is how God works, and we have to understand this. God uses imperfect people to bring forth His perfect plan. I used to tell somebody, tell the person beside you, He's talking about you, but it's okay. God uses imperfect people. That means there's hope for you and me. To bring forth his perfect, perfect plan. And that's how God works like that right there. The fourth solos is Christus, Christ alone. Jesus Christ is our Lord, Savior, and King. 1 Timothy 2.5 There is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I was raised Roman Catholic. Uh, uh, my father was full-time career military. From the day I was born till I finished high school, we moved every three years of my life. I have no hometown like Stokes or Conway I can go back to. Uh, but, uh, but I was raised that way. I, I, my life, uh, Ali and I got married after we finished East Carolina in 71. In 78, I had a dramatic uh, Damascus Road type experience with Jesus. Uh, I became born again. I remember calling my mother. And telling my mom and dad that uh, I've been saved by Jesus and I was going to get baptized. And my mother told me, well, John, you've already been baptized. And I said, well, I don't know about that, but I'm going to get baptized this time. And that's another message, but don't let that stumble, offend you in any way. Uh, Thank God there's one mediator. His name is Jesus Christ. And the question is, do you know him? Colossians 1, 15 to 18. I won't read this because of time. But if you go read these verses, the very last part, it simply says this. That in all things, in all things, he may have the preeminence. The foundation of the Protestant Reformation is that all the glory, all the praise, all the efforts, 
would be directed to Christ. And that he would be the one that's lifted up. Because he said, if I be lifted up, then I will draw all, all men unto me. And that's the essence of the gospel right there. Three effects that came from this that, are, that, have, that have affected uh, especially what's called the Protestant uh, uh, belief system and also affected us greatly in America were three things. Number one, the priesthood of the believers. We are all, if you've given your life to Christ, that means you're now a priest under the Lord. Uh, that, that, you may not understand that, but according to 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Peter's writing to the church in verse 5 there, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. In verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. The church is called a priesthood. That means the believers are the priests under the Lord. And the ministry of a priest is one thing mainly. The priest stands before, between the people and God, and ministers directly to Him. So this this greatly affected the, 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 the nations because of the Protestant Reformation. And America today became a byproduct of that religious freedom, Exodus, that came out of Europe right there. The other two things that affected this was marriage. Because Luther's belief on marriage totally transchanged what the belief was about marriage and it became it becomes the standard today, because the husband is seen as the priest in the home, along with the wife, to be the priest in the family with the children. And the, the marriage was before Luther was was there was no, no essence in it, because the, and their belief system was you had to be holy, you had to be celibate. Uh, thank God, God changed that one. Uh, you know, but God changed, if, if you go back and research it, you'll see that because of Luther, because of the reformers, it totally changed the view of marriage, and that's the view that, that launched that same view in America and other nations today. The next thing was what's called the Protestant work, et, work ethic. And here's what it says. When it comes to work, uh, somehow we, 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 don't, we go back on this one. Luther valued all work as legitimate. And therefore, he said, you're a priest on the job. In order to fulfill the second commandment, which is to love your brother as yourself, that means all work was classified as ministry. There was no such thing as there's church ministry, and then there's a chasm, and then there's secular work. Because in the Protestant Reformation, this was done away with. Because work was seen as unto the Lord. Not just going to a job, because Jesus is supposed to be transcendent in the church, in the family, and at the workplace. And that was one of the great effects that it had right there. And you can look at that right there. Did you know it wasn't until after, uh, where's your choir leader? You'll like this one. It wasn't until after Luther that, uh, Congregational singing came into into practice because prior to Luther there was no such thing as choir. Well, there were choirs that but, uh, now don't take this wrong. They, they had choirs in those days, but they were they were all paid a hundred percent. Probably none of you got a hundred percent payment today. You did it as a volunteer, as a ministry. But they had professional singers in the church at that time, and the priest or the clergy did all the all the singing. But there was no such thing until after Luther's day, what was called congregational singing. In other words, the congregation had nothing to do when it came to singing praise and worship. It was all done by the clergy or the paid. But that changed after the Protestant Reformation. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, the last one is the fifth one. Sola de Gloria. To the glory of God alone. We live... For the glory of God alone. The goal of all life is to give glory to God alone. Whether you eat or drink, this comes from 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, whatever you do. Now, my wife and I, we, 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 we say even when you dance, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Because, you see, people see you 
not sitting here in a church seat. People see you as you walk in real life down the road somewhere. And the question is, when you're walking through the normal path of life, do they still see Christ in you there? And that, to me, is to is living for the glory of God. Because whatever you do, when I go to work, I don't go to work late, and I don't give 45%. Because whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, you do for the glory of God. And that's what the Bible says right there. Each, these are the five truths, what's called the solas, that launched, the, that came out of the Protestant Reformation right there. My last scripture to close comes from Revelation 5. And, and this, if you just bear with me as you read this. Verses 9 to 13. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain. And you have redeemed us to God in your blood, by your blood, and out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us, now I'm, this is New King James, kings and priests, many translations translate this correctly. That's an incorrect translation. It should be a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. And every creature was in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, such as in the sea. And all that is in the sea in them heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever and ever and ever. That's a song, my choir director. You better teach us because we're going to sing that one in the future. Because we'll all be part of a heavenly choir. Uh, I, I don't sing well. I make a joyful noise. Uh, but we all have a part in that. And that's a song that all, every tongue, every tribe, every nation will be gathered together to give all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor to him. Because it's about for prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word, for allowing me to speak this day. Lord, I ask you to speak to the hearts of your people. Allow the word to, to go into good ground. Fathers, they receive the word. Father, let the word just grow in them. I ask the Holy Spirit to take this word and, to, and to just to water it and bring it to life in them. And Father, cause us just to, to reaffirm our, our trust is in you, our hope is in you, and our life is in you. And now, Lord, I ask you, Father, just to touch every heart here. If there be anyone here that doesn't know you and needs to reaffirm you in any special way, let them realize that today is the day of salvation. So, Father, right now, Lord, we just, we just lift up your name, Jesus, right now. And, you, and we just let you minister and reveal yourself to everyone here. And we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we're going to sing as our hymn of invitation number 308. Please stand. <laughs>